You're listening to the Mind Takeaway podcast, where we talk about all things mind-related and embrace what it is to be human in an age of technology, digitalization, and information overload. If you enjoy the podcast, please subscribe, leave a review on iTunes, and share with your friends. In this episode, we speak to Anke Herman, a passion business coach who sees creativity as being essential to building a business and dealing with any obstacles in life. Enjoy. Hello, everyone. We're actually here with Anka Herman today. Welcome. Hello. Welcome. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being on the show. So, Anka, you're a creative business coach, but I guess it'd be better for you to explain a bit more, you know, for what you actually do, because you're not just a coach, you do many things, right? Yeah, and I and I actually quite consciously picked that weird combination of words because you can kind of dismantle it from a different angle and it kind of comes to what I do all, you know. I work with a lot of creative business owners because they're the ones that are really close to my heart because that's how my own entrepreneurial story started back in 2004 when I just thought, oh, let's just you know, move to Spain and start a sewing business. How hard can it be? (laughs) And so, but it's also, it also describes how I approach helping other people build their business. Because what I've seen is that building a business is a creative process. And it's not a straight path from A to B where you can just follow somebody's six-step proven success formula. So it's, it or like it or not, go through the natural phases of the creative process. And the less you struggle against that, the less you try and skip or shortcut, the more pleasant and enjoy, like joyful the experience will be. And that's when your creativity has room to come out. And that's when you can really create wonderful, wonderful stuff. So, yeah. Yeah, that sounds great. And Ankara, I know that um, we've known each other for a number of years, right? Yeah. You've lived in a few different places. I know you lived in Australia. Originally, you're from Germany, right? Yep. And right now, at present, you're in Spain. Yes, and have been. How did you end up in Spain, then? How did did that journey unfold? Yeah, that's one that's actually a bit of a warning. Um, if you ever go on holiday, just watch out. <laughs> you might end up staying. Um, yeah, it was actually all really started with, I was living after, after Australia, I went to the UK. I lived in London for, you know, for a number of years and working in IT and I was contracting. So I had, you know, lots of free time on my hand and did a lot of traveling. And one of those trips was, a trip to Peru. And it was one of those bucket list things for me, you know, to think I always wanted to um, see South America and the Andes and all of that. And so, and then I thought, well, I'd have a much better time if I just knew a little bit of Spanish. And um, so I basically started finding myself a language course, which uh, was really amazing. I went to Peru, fantastic trip, came back and kept studying Spanish until I basically chewed up all the modules, everything these people had. And then I was like, okay, what do I do now with the Spanish? 
well, I'm in London, Spain is just around the corner. So I kept, I started going on, on short trips. But then I found I always ended up traveling with Australian mates, with other people that I knew in London. And then you can imagine you don't get to speak a lot of Spanish until you go on your own. And so, and then it was like, okay, where should I go? And, you know, some Aussie friends had said, well, you know, Granada was the place that they loved most out of a big trip through Spain and Portugal. I'm like, okay, you know, Granada it is. And so I went there on a holiday and that was in 2002. And I remember walking around the historic part of town and that there was this sense of, I don't know, peace. Life is simple. Don't even know what century you're in because there are no cars, no nothing. And all of a sudden I had this sensation like, God, I'd love to live in one of those white little houses here. And then I went back to London, back to my IT job. And, you know, and then, but that, that thought like kept nagging and it was like, now what would actually happen if I went to move to Spain? You know, and then it was like, okay, well, what, 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 would, what would I do for a living? You know, and, and I started like, hmm, I said, okay, now let's take a step back, you know, because I, there was also that sensation. I've been to so many places and there were lots of places where I had the sensation that, oh, it's lovely here, you know, Bali and whatever and Fiji and lots of places. I thought, oh, I'd love to come back here one day, but I'd never had that feeling like I could live here. So I thought, I don't want to look back 10 years, 20 years later thinking, oh, I wonder what living in Spain would have been like. You know, I thought I'd rather... I'd rather try and see what happens, you know, and see whether, you know, what I love about Spain on a holiday is, is still going to be cool when I live there or whether, you know, just that very same thing actually drives you mad. <laughs> but then at least then I know, you know, and I won't run around thinking what would have been, you know, what could have been and would have been. And so I thought, well, let's just keep thinking in that direction, see, see what comes up. And then the next step was, okay, what would I do for a living? Hmm. I don't think going into, into an IT job was, would have been possible with the level of Spanish I got by the time. And, and then I thought, well, why would I want to do that anyway? So what if I took another step back and think, what is it, if I could do anything, what would I want to do? And I remember st- like the, the night, <laughs> it was like, I don't know. I remember sort of a cold day, but I was, I was at home and I was, uh, cutting a flamenco dress on my dining table and I had some flamenco music playing in the background. I'm like, yeah, that's it. Like I knew it was like instant. Was like, I'd have a sewing studio and I'd do made to measure stuff. Like what stuff was that wasn't that clear in that moment. But, and there was really from there, it's like, okay, now what exactly is stopping me? And there was, and I just kept taking the next step thinking, okay, what, well, like, let's see what's stopping me. And I couldn't think of anything. And so mm. I kept doing, taking the next step and that, led to yeah and in the end I moved in February 2004 that was just like quit my job let's just go for it and see what happens yeah Yeah, that's really cool Mm. and I guess what occurred to you is to take steps forward whereas correct me if I'm wrong sometimes when you look too far ahead it becomes overwhelming right absolutely it's not Mm. so did that make it easier just taking those little steps forward as opposed to having you know, a, a detailed end goal. Yes, I, I, I think it did because um, I've actually written an article. It's, it's on, on Medium and on my website as well. And it's called, uh, I can't remember what it's called now, but basically the, the idea is that, that they say every creative project, project has a U-shape. 
and it's initially you're on one side of the top and then you look across and I'm like, oh, it looks all easy. And it's like, oh, that looks like this, you know, crazy adventure. And then you start going and then you kind of go down into the dip. And when you're in the bottom there, you know, you, you're struggling, you don't, you can't see anymore where you're headed and it gets really difficult. And, and then it's like, either you cop out or you keep going. And at some point you'll find, you know, the other way, you know, you basically come out on the other end. And I often thought if I'd known what I'm getting myself into, I probably wouldn't have done it. Or not that I regret it. It's just, I wouldn't have had the courage or I wouldn't have thought that I could do it. Yeah. But, but not, and, and I think what also helped that as crazy as it sounds, like what I set out to do was just so nuts by like any normal standard, you know, to, because the thing is like I'd sewn as a hobby all my life, you know, but I'd never really made anything for anybody else other than, you know, a friend and my mom, whatever. But and I, and I also ended up specializing in flamenco dance costumes, which I li literally knew nothing about, you know. And now people who want to make their own costume, they can find out because I've got a website where I documented it all and, and I teach that stuff, right? But when I thought, oh, you know, I just go on the internet, how hard can it be? And there was just literally nothing. Mm -hmm. and, and there was this, it wasn't, like it was so far out. It was almost like there was no pressure to, to succeed. Yeah, because it was just something that had never occurred to you before. Yeah, so and nobody, you know, that, yeah. Yeah, that obviously you must have, you know, had some kind of skills in sewing before. Oh, yeah. Say the environment of being in Spain, the fact that you'd, there were steps leading up to it, you know, you'd learn Spanish to a, you know, proficient, at least intermediate level. So would you say it's more, it was environmental because there was an influence of, you know, that flamenco thing is definitely from that area, you know, from that country. Oh, yeah. And I'd, I'd gotten, I'd, I'd actually, the first flamenco performance I ever saw was when I was still living in Australia, quite funny, really. Mm, okay. And then I saw one when I was living in London, and that's when I got really hooked because it was the first time ever, and you, you'll be able to relate to that, it was the first time ever that I heard music and, and I had, like, literally a physical reaction. I had goosebumps all over mm. and tears running down my face, and I'd never had that, like, from music. You know, I, I liked music and there was stuff that I loved, but, but never that, that depth of impact that would really, you know, and that was just like, there's something there. <laughs> you know? This is just, um, so yeah. And I mean, there is this, this flamenco touches the soul, like anywhere you go, you know, and you, that's why I think it's also so popular all over the world, which I didn't know at the time when I started. Yeah, it's definitely a movement. It's something that's, you know, it's been established. People like it. They resonate towards yeah. it. Yeah. What I was going to ask you as well is that, you, you know, you got into flamenco and the like. Would you say that that then led you to start helping other people because you could see that you started a passion out there, you moved to a different country, you started getting established and, you know, that's what led you up. Did that then lead to you helping other businesses or other people who were aspiring to do something they're passionate about? Or was that before? No, that came out of, well, it came actually a bit later still because I went in there with lots of passion, lots of enthusiasm, naivety, clearly, you know, like no idea, which was, which is basically, yeah, it's, it's, it's a gift and, and, and a challenge, you know, it's both. But, um, 
But what happened was that I managed to pull it off, but it wasn't without challenges. You know, like it wasn't, it wasn't as easy as it sounds like looking back 15 years, you know, like looking back, it's like, I just kind of started one thing and the next. And no, I mean, it, it took probably longer than, you know, somebody would normally think until this really paid the bills. And the challenges that I expected, like, will a Spanish flamenco dancer be crazy enough to, to get a dress made by some German would-be dressmaker? <laughs> you know, that sort of stuff wasn't a problem at all. What really brought me to the edge of burnout by like literally 2012 was that Spanish clients were really pushy, right? So they will come, no, I need to do this and I want it now and I don't care that you know, I've got other things on or that you're, you know, that you're a fever, that you've got a fever, that you're, that you're not well, I don't care. I want my thing and I want it now, you know? And it was really that pressure that I felt, you know? And for years, I thought I had a cultural problem because it was something that had never come up with, and even it wasn't even, they said, yeah, before you were working for a company, no, even working for myself, you know, I, I was working with international clients and that kind of pressuring that never happened with anybody else right so it only ever happened with spanish clients who were you know <laughs> like right there and i want my shit and i want it now and it really so i was constantly feeling that pressure that i'm trying to keep my clients happy i'm trying to deliver really great work i'm trying to if they want you know provide the best personal service so if they have a little kid and it's too hard to come to my place i'll come and take it wherever and that's cool if you have three clients, but not if you have 20 projects going on at the same time. So there was this, yeah, overworked, underpaid, and the sensation, this constant sensation of pressure, like no matter how far I bend, it's never going to be enough. There's going to be somebody else who's going to try and keep pushing a little bit further. And that really came to, to this big blow up when, you know, the, the, they had this project where there was like 20 odd 25 or whatever dresses on stage and to get those finished I, I didn't sleep for four days and three nights straight wow yeah I've done and that. so I basically slept well I slept like for 20 minutes on the floor next <laughs> next to the dog so it's just I wouldn't be too comfortable because if you know like a little bit more comfortable I wouldn't wake up until the week after the performance and that really brought the whole thing to hold, it was like, no, I'm, I, I'm, I'm just not going to do this anymore. And that's when I started. That was the first time I had the courage to say no when somebody asked me to do something I didn't want to do. Mm, yeah. And so I basically, next time somebody came and said, oh, I need you to bring this dress to my house uh, on Sunday night, but don't bring the dog because my kid's scared. <laughs> you know? I said, oh, sorry, sweetheart, can't do that. And she'd go, oh, oh, okay, I'll pick it up on Monday. And literally that was the moment where like the world changed mm. because that's when I realized that the pressure that I'd been suffering from in a very masochistic way for like years, eight years to be <laughs> precise, well, that was all made up. That was, the pressure didn't come from them, that it came from, the chain of horrible consequences that I now saw that I'd made up mm. because in my mind, 
I couldn't afford to say no. It wasn't that I didn't want to say no, but I, I thought I couldn't, I couldn't afford to because, you know, Granada's a small place. Mm. You know, everybody knows each other. And if I say no, she'll be upset and then she won't order again. And then she doesn't order and everybody talks, you know, then she'll tell all of her friends and then they won't come again. And so basically, you know, through a few steps from me saying no to taking the dress somewhere to being homeless in the street, that seemed like a very short road to me. Yeah. Right. And I, that was the thing that I'd been suffering from all this, all these years. And the moment I saw that, and that's where it all started to turn around really quickly. Mm. And the, 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 the urge to help others came yeah. from that. Yeah, that's interesting. Mm. And would you say that once you saw that for yourself, I'm guessing that connection and developing a relationship with your clients is obviously really important. So I'm guessing if you have that and you've developed that, then, you know, if your back's against the wall and you have to honestly say no to someone, they're probably going to be more forgiving, right? Yeah. It's, and it, it was actually quite a funny experience because I thought, you know, okay, I'm just not going to have this anymore. And, if they don't like it, well, and then they're just, you know, they're just going to go find somebody else. And if that means I'll end up with no clients, then so be it. Now, yeah, the first thing that came about that people actually usually weren't upset at all. Mm. That's when I realized, oh, who am I to think I know what other people will be thinking? Yeah. And then I was like, oh, okay, I don't even know what I'll be thinking in a second from now. Yeah. And that <laughs> you know, alone, how you... That alone, exactly. Because, you know, and, I mean, me too. I mean, how long have we all yeah. spent time worrying about what people are going to think, judgment, yeah. you know, the fear of, oh, my God, if I don't complete this by today, they're probably going to go to someone else. And, and like you said before, we... we look to the future, think there's going to be some kind of domino effect, but we can't, we can't possibly know that. Because yeah. we can only know what's happening right now as we're talking, right? Anything yeah. after that is up for grabs. <laughs> exactly. And crucially, we can't get inside our client's head, but we can do one thing, right? We can always ask them. Yeah. We can ask, you know, is it going to be okay? Look, it's not going to happen, but I can get it to you tomorrow. Is that okay? And, yeah. and is, has your experience been that in most cases, that's, that, that you, you know, usually they're okay with it, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I also saw, saw the, another thing that I never imagined possible is that, yeah, okay, sometimes somebody would get upset, mm. you know, but that isn't something that necessarily is permanent either. Mm. And it doesn't necessarily say anything about me because it also comes like, where are they in that moment? Mm. You know? So it's, and the other thing that I really noticed that all of a sudden I had hardly any difficult clients. But the thing were the clients were the same. Mm. And, what you make and so all of a sudden, like, you know, somebody who was with this real kind of pushy kind of, you know, all of a sudden she was really nice. You know, there was something. I think there's probably something coming across when, when they can sense that you don't care whether they, you know, like it, there's probably some of that, but there's also... I saw that the, the, them being nice and lovely people and 
oh God, that's always been there. Mm. And just, I couldn't see it because I, all I could see is that she kept calling me and pushing and pressuring, you know, that she's got their whole, your whole life, you know, and, and that her kids adore her and all that other, like all the other elements that make up her mm. and her life was always there and I never had eyes for it. So that was another big kind of insight I had. And I think mm. that's really useful for people to hear, right? Because Mira and I were at a, an event a few days ago and there was a female uh, collective of designers and they were really cool and they were doing like a live Q&A that we sat in in the audience and got some insights. And it's, it's interesting to hear that most solo entrepreneurs people who are, you know, doing something that they really lights them up, they all have a real fear around how they manage or deal with clients. So that's really useful to know that you are going to have the odd client that's going to be difficult. But to be fair, that's reality, right? That's just part and parcel of choosing to do what we do. But on the other side as well, if we can get over our own thinking, a lot of the times, actually, it's fine, right? And even if it isn't, we've got the capacity to deal with it. And I'm guessing if you're passionate about what you do and you're really good at it, then you're going to always find a way forward. You know, you're going to have insights or something's going to happen where you're like, oh, okay, no problem. Yeah, true. And difficult clients actually, yeah, I talk about that quite a bit in, in, in my group for sewing professionals because there's always like the nightmare brides and like a lot of people doing, <laughs> doing work for bridal stuff and stuff. And what I've really seen is that what makes somebody difficult is, well, it's just expectations. Mm. You know, it's, it's somebody's difficult. And, and if you ask a number of people what makes a client difficult, <laughs> it's actually funny how many different answers you get mm. and how what is difficult for one person is, you know, like, I don't like people being pushy. And somebody else says, oh, I love it when they're straightforward. Yeah. It you actually know? hit the nail on the head there because this, this was brought up the other night by one individual. And she said, yeah, I'd rather have that because at least to know that they're going to be yeah. on the case and they're going to be on the ball. They know what they want versus a client who, when we ask them, you know, when they're talking about the design brief and what they're going to do before they go off and make something for someone, and the client's like, I have no idea. Yeah. And for, for, you know, for one person, that's a difficult client. Yeah. And it just occurred to me as well, though, because we have that word difficult as a label in our head, that's probably the crux of the problem, right? Yeah. And also to see what, and then, and, and it's not just that, that what makes somebody difficult is different for each person. And I think it even changes, you know, over time. Some, like some that I can be, you know, nervous or anxious about something and then somebody comes and, and cancels or wants something like, oh, you know, and another day she does exactly the same thing and I don't care. Yeah. You know, like even that isn't, isn't, isn't permanent. Yeah. And I think there's a real gift in difficult clients because they also, because if you ask somebody who's starting out, you know, and you ask anybody who's your perfect client, who are the clients you love and they often can't and, well, and I'm, I'm, you know, not excluding myself there. It's, it's, it takes some time to figure out who that perfect client actually is. And difficult clients are a real gift for that. Yeah, that's a really good point. That you have to kind of go through that learning. 
Yeah. And I know that at the start of this conversation, it's interesting that you mentioned that, um, you know, we all hear these, you know, seven steps to having a successful heartfelt business and stuff like that. But what you don't hear behind the scenes is, you know, it can be up and down. It can be a roller coaster. There are challenges. However, you can still do everything you want and have an amazing life and have that, you know, that quality there and really do what you chose to do simply because it lights you up. But you've just got to be open to the fact that there's no clear line. There's no straight path to it. And I think the, the tricky bit, correct me if I'm wrong, is when we start to, there's nothing wrong with looking up to other people or aspiring to, to be like a person that's, you know, in a similar field or has a similar passion. But I'm hazard the guess that really the way forward is to find it for you. You have to have your own personal journey and your personal stamp has to be on that, right? Absolutely. I think like I've got this, if we go to my website, I've got this, like this big thumbnail and it says, don't just learn, create. Mm-hmm. And that's the essence of, of really what, how I think this whole thing works. And I think it, what makes it difficult is we're not brought up that way. We're brought up to follow instructions and all of a sudden you go out on your own. There is nobody who gives you instructions and people desperately cling on to, you know, who will tell me what to do. Yeah, you know, like and a security blanket, right? That's yeah. the thing. And there's nothing wrong. And I think you do, obviously, you don't want to reinvent the wheel. You want to look at what's worked for people and you want to see what, you know, somebody else recommends. But there's always that, I don't know, it's like, it's, I don't know, when I cook, right? I said, oh, I feel like, and I, I feel like sauteed chicken, right? And then I go, go look at, at sauteed chicken recipes and like 50 recipes come out like this. Oh, I love the way that that, this, that. At the end of it, close the book and go in the kitchen and, you know, what comes out is mine. Obviously, it's influenced by these things, but at the end of it, at some point, you, yeah, you can't, there is nobody to follow. At some point, you're going to have to. And that's not, a, that's not something heavy. That's the fun part, I'd say. No, I totally resonate you know? with that. And that's that's the, what you want in the first place, isn't it? Well, that's the thing. We forget sometimes that that's the end goal, right? That we want yeah. to come out with something that we can say is ours. Yeah. Even though that concept to me is alien as well, because I'm just grateful if I can get into that place where I'm touched you know, by creativity, then that's great for me. That ticks the yeah. boxes. Uh, yeah, I think just hearing that, that, you know, you will copy people, you will try and, you know, come out with something that's similar to someone else's. But yeah, I think you've hit the nail on the head when you said that, yeah, eventually it, it's going to have your stamp on like or not, because, it, you know, it can only be yours, right? Even yeah. though it's going to have influences from wherever, you know, depending on yeah. your own experience. And it's, it, because it's... Because I think what makes that difficult is, is, yeah, the way we are brought up to follow instructions, we're not really taught to trust our own intuitions, our own guts. Or there's always that sense that somebody else knows more or knows it better than I do. Yeah. And we don't trust that, you know, we, we know something too. And when you do stuff other people's ways, if somebody else tells you how to do your forever, is that okay? Is that right? Is that not? Do I get to, you know? And you're never really in your flow. Yeah. What I was going to ask you is how do you mitigate or balance that? So like you said, there's, there's no problem with 
not having to recreate the wheel because there's so much great content out there to help you if you want to, you know, if you're just starting out or, or for example, even for me, even though I'm a technical guy in terms of audio and video production, stuff like that, it's always useful for me to cut corners, not having to spend months trying to learn a particular skill if I can pick up some hints or tips. But even me, I can get caught out by, you know, deaf by uh, YouTube videos, you know, look at it. <laughs> I end up sometimes not making the content or working on music and it ends up being working on techniques to make music, if that makes sense. So Absolutely. what would you say to people, you know, if they get a bit overwhelmed or they're stuck in a loop of that, how, how do you balance that? I think most of the time it's more of a problem that people beat themselves up about it. Because well, it's something that, that really dawned on me when I was working in software development. You know, you'd have like the six months project. And I'd be, you know, initially, obviously, you have to kind of see what's going on, what they want, what, you know, and then you go, oh, well, there's this new database. You know, let's see, would that be useful? Would that, could that work? How? And then you kind of try out something else and you sort of potter around, you know. And I used to find myself pottering around for a very long time. And I'd beat myself up for it. Because I'm like, oh, shit, 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 you know, like, there's the client and they want to see some whatever. And, and there was like, we're two months in, three months in, and I still hadn't written a line of code, you know. And I was like, oh, God, you know, <laughs> what am I doing? And there was the sense, like, this phase shouldn't be there. And I think thinking that this phase shouldn't be there was the problem, not the phase itself. Because when I then watched how these projects went every single time, you know, you kind of pot around here and a pot around there and you play out and download something here and see, hmm, no, that matter. And then you kind of see, well, it's a bit like, you know, Jamie's snow globe. Like mm. there's loads of stuff. And after a while it starts to settle and you think, no, no, this one is out, you know, that. And then you start having a short list of things and it sort of slowly comes together. And one day you wake up in the morning and say, okay, all the pieces fit together. And now I know what I'm doing and I go straight and it's like super fast after that. But that only happens when you allow yourself to chew over and mull over and, and not try and rush that. Yeah, I like what you said there because when we've got a lot of thinking going on, right, when there's a lot upstairs, and like you said, those snow shaker things, it's a great metaphor or even a visual aid if you see that because once it settles, that's the only place, I'm guessing, or at least from our experience, where you're going to get insightful wisdom and it, and it feels right. Whereas I don't know about you guys, but when, when you are in those times when you're not clear, you end up with so many options, you feel overwhelmed, right? It, Absolutely. None of them seem like the right thing to do, but once your mind settles, you know that feeling, right? Even though sometimes we forget, but we're actually built to be able to recognize that feeling. Mm. And actually we only recognize it when we haven't got any, shit going on in our head right yeah exactly and if, yeah. yeah if you just remember that you know so for example if i say to me oh my god what do we do next and, I, and i'll be just talking and talking mira knows that's the signal you know for me to just clear my mind so she won't do anything she'll just say well what's all that about and then you know eventually i'll be like oh yeah okay now i know that, that's the interesting thing i think uh 
that just before something settles, just before something changes, there is a bit of a discomfort. And, and I think because we are not, humans are not used to accepting these uncomfortable feelings as something is okay anyway, yeah. uh, uh, we, we go into either running away from the project or, 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 you know, thinking we're not creative, we won't be able to do this, or thinking that something is wrong. And, you know, allowing that feeling to, to clear things out for you or allowing the whole process to clear things out for you and then you come out on the other end is part of the creation, isn't it? Absolutely. Uh, or otherwise we, we give up. And I, I did that lots of times until giving up wasn't working either. <laughs> yeah, me too. Yeah. <laughs> and, and then and I think I'm too. Yeah. It's that what we come back to is that awareness, that consciousness, because what you were just saying about, you know, when, when you start kind of talking, you know, and, it, and, and, and now you already know, like, that's your signal, you know, <laughs> it's like, oh, okay, you're up in your head, you know, it might be time to just go out for a walk or play with the dog or whatever. And, and I get that sense when, when, when I have a sense of urgency. When I feel an urgency, like this needs to be done, this, you know, okay. And then I, like, well, once you know it, then you sort of catch yourself. You know, what are you running? I, what, what's this about? And that's what's this about is that when you can sort of snap, snap out of it and it comes down to recognizing that feeling and, and it just brings up the topic of procrastination. Because <laughs> you've been talking about it, I know. And I used to be like the procrastination queen, right? And and I'd I'd find myself with with sewing. I used to do that a lot. And a lot of the kind of like work through nights came because I kind of started really late. And and then, then I'd beat myself up about it until I realized, well, there's really only two things that cause me to start later than I could. And one is that something sort of design-wise isn't clear. It's like with the software project, when I'm not quite sure yet which database is best to use and which, you know, code structure would give the best result, when that's still a bit messy in my head, you know, and I've learned the best way to deal with that is to leave that. That's not ready. And allow my mind to come up with the solution and, and that isn't going to happen when, there's, when I try harder. Mm. That's going to happen when I step away from it. So that part. And the other part was that I've got something, I've got busy mind thinking around it. And sometimes it would be something a client had said that kind of peeved me off a bit, you know, or like something, <laughs> you know, like something that, you know, when I've got some busy thinking around this and then I said, mm, and then I don't feel like starting you know, and then I resent the whole thing, but it was all just my, you know, and when you realize that that's what it is, mm. then it just loses the heaviness. Mm. And it's again, it's like when that snow globe is clear, you just do stuff. Yeah. Do you know what occurred to me though? When you talk about it, it sounds like there's a lot of lightness from you, Anka, as well. Um, so what I was going to ask you is, 
there's another layer to it as well as noticing, right? But it's also being okay when you get it wrong because I didn't see this for a long time, like many people, you know, spent a lot of time as a creative beating myself up. So I'd notice it and think, ah, okay, that's why. Great. But instead of then taking action and getting on with it and just, it's fine, I would spend a lot of time beating myself up, hitting myself with a stick, you know. Why did I do that? Why, you know, crucially, why did I waste time even thinking about it? And it's like, well, so what? We, we're going to do it, right? And if you don't see it, you don't see it. It's fine. Yeah. And I think yeah. that's quite useful for people to hear because sometimes you're not going to see clearly and other times you will. And when you don't, you're going to get insights eventually anyway and just be okay with it because it's going to happen. <laughs> that's life, you know. And, and the thing is, every human has the same thing, you know. We have the same inbuilt solution that we can deal with all of these things, that, you know, that life throws at us. But we also trip up now and again. But that's okay, right? Yeah. yeah. Be boring otherwise, yeah, wouldn't it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and going back to procrastination, I guess you obviously help your clients uh, deal with this stuff. Do you see that a lot of your clients initially, when you know, when they start to think about you know these passion-based businesses and they gravitate towards you? you know, for help, support, mentoring, coaching. Do a lot of these businesses talk about procrastination to start with? Or does that come well, later? When that comes later. Yeah. I, I, <laughs> I remember like a classic case is um, somebody who I still remember. I still remember the message she sent to me. Um, she says, how can I mark up the price of, or how, yeah, how can I mark up the price of my skirts without scaring my customers away? Mm. That was the question initially. Mm. And then once we sort of dug in there, it was more about, well, yeah, what actually does stop you from saying a different number? It's just a number. What's the thing? Why is that difficult? And then all the stuff comes up. And in the end, she says, you know what the weird thing is? We never talked about sewing. I always thought we'd be talking about, you know, like how to put in a zipper faster so you'd be quicker or how, where to source cheaper material. And she said, we never talked about that. Mm. And the weird thing is, I'm a much better dancer now. Because I used to get a lot of stage fright. And now I just walk on stage and enjoy it. So that's what I love about it, that, that those insights into how our experience of business and life mm. is created from the inside out. And it's got nothing to do with what a client says and what, you know, whatever. That that has ripple effects. Yeah. You know, these unexpected side effects. And I just love that. So would you say then that a lot of the times people come to you, but I'm guessing that they're already good. You know, I don't want to use the word expert, but if they're already passionate about something, they know what they're doing, right? But they, yeah, exactly what you said, that they might be looking at technical or how to, or the detail, but actually it's all to do with just where our, our experience comes from, right? Yeah, it always That's comes back to that. It always comes yeah. back to that. 
And it's just to do with what we're thinking about, right? So as soon as our mind settles, you're always going to have a way forward because if you're passionate about it in the first place, that bit's easy, right? <laughs> it's just exactly. actually the, the only time we it gets trickier, the wheels come off is the thinking yeah. around it. <laughs> yeah. And sometimes, actually, it's funny because coming back to your question, I think what makes it difficult is is when you when you try when you're fixing the wrong problem you know when 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 you basically misdiagnose the problem and you think you know and and, and often people like oh i want i want more clients but oh, i'm not really good at marketing so what they're looking at is you know oh i i, I need to figure out how facebook works mm. right and and to say well okay now yeah there's nothing wrong with figuring out how facebook works but if you can't get your message across to the 20 people you do have in your group, and I don't think your problem is Facebook. And for people to take that step and even questioning assumptions, mm. you know, there's always like, okay, I assume this, now I see my next thing to sort out is this. And to get them to question stuff that, gets closer and closer to home, I think that isn't always easy. Mm. But it's very useful, right? But yeah, I guess you have to get comfortable with that. But that's mm. where, you know, yeah. where the real value to come to someone like yourself is because, some, you know, we don't see it. So that's, you know, the first port of call is, okay, notice that we have to put a hand up and ask for help. But the second bit is, you know, someone gently helping us face the truth of it that, we have to ask ourselves some tough questions. Well, they're not even tough, are they? Because once you get comfortable knowing where your experience is from, these questions are just, I see this very differently now. They're just really useful. So if we get a bit stuck, exactly what you said, I resonate with that, because we got stuck with that about, oh, we must just link there and we must do this. And it gets into, again, the detail. But then Mira's like, you know what? I, I just don't think people were clear on what we do or the, the narrative isn't right. You know, and also we've lost it a little bit in terms of, you know, is this really what we want to do? Or, you know, is that kind of the the story we want to weave? And then as soon as you get the insights around what's important to you, Facebook and social media, that wasn't the problem, right? Yeah, I know. And I see that all the time. And, mm. and not everybody's ready to see that, mm. you know? And it's also what you said, like, we can't see our own stuff. It was really, the, yeah, like, not long ago. It's like, you know, having a coffee next door and, and there's this guy, you know, and he's had a few beers and basically, and he's this police guy and he was like, he was really, you know, sort of desperate for help, desperate to talk. And so, and he basically says, well, I don't know, like, yeah, and he was basically, he'd, he'd left home and left the phone at home because he didn't want his wife to be able to contact him. And, and he was really like, I'm not sure whether I could, should, could continue this relationship and whatever. So, and he kept, and he kept saying, well, I don't know, she treats me like a rubbish bin. You know, she, I'm just there, you know, to, to take where she could, like somewhere where she can dump all her crap on, right? And so there was the sense that he did all these things and, and she just couldn't, see it and wouldn't appreciate. And so there was this resentment, this frustration. And so it was there. And then she wouldn't talk about it and whatever. And after a while, we changed subject. And so and 
he's a policeman. You know, how is that? Like, you know, I've never really sort of spoken to a policeman like that. He goes, yeah, no, it's great. It's this, that. And he goes, well, you know, the thing is, I've done a lot of like personal development, so I'm really good under pressure. And now the thing is, everybody dumps their difficult cases on me, onto me, you know? So they always send their difficult cases to me. So I'm, you know, sometimes I feel like a bit of, I'm, I'm everybody's rubbish bin and that's kind of exhausting. And I'm like, oh, do we see a pattern here? You know? And he just couldn't see it. He was like, do I need to divorce my wife? You know, where, where you think, well, no, that sensation of I'm other people's rubbish bin. You know, what's going on there? Where else does that show up? And it, like, and, and that's the kind of stuff where I think, well, it's normal. I think we all have that. Like, if it's your stuff, you can't see it. Like, you can't see your own typos. But when, and he literally used the same words. Mm. You know? And, and I really recognize myself in that with, you know, people take advantage. I'm, I'm like too nice. Mm. You know, I can't say no. My default answer is always yes. And then I say yes to stuff that I, you know, that basically overloads me with work and then I'm pressured and then I'm rushed. And, you know, and it took me, yeah, a total burnout to even recognize that. Mm. But it's not that easy to see and not everybody's ready then to say, well, now, now go, let's have a look at that. What is the misunderstanding? Where is the misunderstanding that makes your world look like that? And I think one of the reasons why people are reluctant to look inside is because they think there's something wrong with them mm. and they will confirm but yes. it never is the case, is it? Yeah. No, because actually it's just around your thinking and actually every human on the planet has the same thing. And like what you said, Anka, it's a good reminder that, you know, you just, you don't see it for yourself. And just to be okay with that, and it's okay to ask for help, and that's us included, right? You know, just because we, you know, we're we in the business of pointing people towards, you know, finding a solution and their own insight and wisdom doesn't mean to say that we don't get stuck as well, right? And so for me, the, the power is when, when we help people or I'm speaking to a client, what occurs to me a lot of the times, again, because it's just talking, it's having a nice conversation, it's just sharing my own story. Well, you know, I got stuck with that, and I'm like, really? And, and some people are quite shocked because they're like, you're meant to be perfect. You're meant to be you know, an expert, a coach, a transformation worker. And I'm like, yeah, but I still mess shit up, you know? <laughs> you know, and isn't that good to know? And they're like, yeah. And I'm like, well, you know, we all do it. I'm just, you know, I've honed my skill on helping people find a way forward. But that doesn't mean to say that I don't get stuck because this is the whole human experience. And I think just sharing that truth is really useful now. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And it helps people relate to you as well. Because it's also, I think it's more difficult to, to, open, to open your heart and open your soul with your, you know, like open your underbelly to somebody who's like all perfect. I think it's yeah, actually what is a lot. perfection, right? I mean, no one's perfect. And in fact, if, if someone's telling you that they are, then, there's, you know, I think they've got something they need to, you know, explore. 
deal with and I guess that's a blind spot for them yeah yeah and, and if you don't see it sometimes that's that's where it is right but that's fine it's, it's not a problem it, it is when you don't see it of course and and you need a bit of help sometimes or just but I, I guess in most cases it's just having a conversation with another human I think that's a good starting point right you know for me because again we're used to exploring this if I'm really stuck, it, it's, you know, when I've given up, that's when I know that something good's going to happen. And I'm okay with it. It still might not feel comfortable, but I'm like, okay, I know that I'm going to get a way forward and I just need to stop doing it. Whereas in the past, the difference with me as a creative making music, I would spend a lot of time going, can't do it. It must be because I'm crap at making music. And then I would go off mm-hmm. and do something destructive and make it worse. Whereas now it's kind of like, well, as you said, Anka, before, go out, do something different, change, change your environment. And then 100% of the time, always, it works, right? Yeah. It might not be exactly when you want it, but minutes, hours, days, weeks after, think, there you go, download. When, especially when you're not thinking about that particular problem. Wasn't it Einstein that said, you know, that same thinking is yes. never going to resolve something you're trying to fix or, you know, especially if you, you've been working on it for a long time, you need insight, something fresh, another download, but it yeah. can't come from that same thinking that got you into the problem in the first place, right? Yeah. I, lo- I love that saying, you can't, you can't fix a problem using the same thinking that you used to create it. <laughs> yeah, even though I've tried for most of my adult life. <laughs> and I think it's, it's, it's such a common thing I don't know. Like, I think we all do it. It's like if, if, if there's some, you do something and it doesn't give the results you want and the first impulse is to try harder. Yeah. We're told that. Harder, yeah. to work more. And, and that's, I mean, it's not to say like if something doesn't work, just walk away, hmm. you know, but I think there comes a point when you just sort of bang your head against the wall and that's the moment where like trying harder isn't going to give you better results. It's like, yeah, letting go and allowing a new idea to come in. Mm. Like when you really push, 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 like, yeah, if, even if the idea came in, you couldn't hear it. But you were saying before, Anka, about sometimes when you feel there's urgency to finish something or get stuff done. And I didn't see that for a long time. And then I'm suddenly like, ah, that's a signal. Take my foot off the gas a little bit. And I don't even need to know why. It doesn't really matter, does it? It's just like, mm. what's all that about? And just having that curiousness about it you'll get an answer. Yeah. And I don't know about you guys, but for me, the experience has been as soon as I slow down, that's, that's when I'm like, ah, okay, that's what I needed to do. You know, yeah. on, the, on the subject of procrastination again, it's like a lot yeah. of people think that it's a bad thing, but actually it can be a great tool. Well, I wouldn't say it's a tool, but if you're procrastinating about something, then maybe that's what needs to be done. Maybe your wisdom saying just have a rest and get over yourself. You know, it's fine. Yeah. Yeah. There was this TED talk about the, into the mind, like, I don't know, the mind, looking into the mind of a master procrastinator. Mm. And he talks about, and it's very funny, and he talks about the, the, um, the instant gratification monkey. And he says, it's all about, you know, there's the instant gratification monkey and he sits on his shoulder and he says, oh, you know, like, no, no, watching a movie now is just so much more fun than preparing for the exam. And, and, See, the thing is, I don't know. I couldn't, I couldn't really relate to the instant gratification monkey. 
Like that definitely wasn't the thing for me because I'm always, I'm the master of delayed gratification. I can hang on there to get the real thing and I don't care, you know? And, but that, that, there was the other thing that the, the what was it called then? The monster, like the, the, you know, when the deadline gets closer, you know, that monster's like, yeah, I can relate to that. <laughs> when the deadline, you know, gets closer and closer. But yeah, I think procrastination has so much more to do with, yeah, part of it, it's recognizing it as a part of the creative process. You know, just allow your mind to, you know, float and sort through the pieces. Allow your mind that space to settle and for the, the, the relevant things to make themselves clear. And the other part is, yeah, you just have some busy monkey thinking <laughs> around something, you know. And that's, that's fair enough too. And I think really recognizing that that's all there is to it, mm. that helps a lot of, a lot to slow down that thinking. Mm. And the moment you have less thinking going on and what that all means and why, you know, this makes you a good creative, a bad creative, an unreliable person or not, or, you know, as soon as you stop judging yourself because you realize it's just part of the process then the thinking drops away and that's the moment you start doing stuff mm. yeah. yeah i think that's a really good point about self-judgment mm. that stops lots of creative processes yeah wow we could talk about these subjects for hours right maybe that's a good place to leave it thank you anka um if people want to know more about what you do, because I know you, obviously you've got your own business uh, passion podcast as well. Uh, yes. Where can people get in contact with you? Um, the podcast, go to passionbusinesspodcast.com. You can tell I've said that a number of times. And, um, and for the rest of it, it's ankaherman.com. Herman, H-E-R-R-M-A-N-N.com. I'm also on LinkedIn and uh, Facebook. And easy to find, but the website would be the best place to go. Well, thank you. And, you know, we've really enjoyed this. Uh, we'll you. definitely be speaking to you again because, you know, there were so many other topics or places we could take it, procrastination, judgments, oh, yeah. all of this stuff. So, yeah, thank you very much. I'd love to. Well, thanks so much for having me. You're welcome. Thank Bye. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the Mind Takeaway podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, remember to subscribe, leave a review on iTunes and share with your friends.